What if you could become a better person, not by working harder, but by allowing your inherent goodness to take the lead? And not because you're a bad person, but because there's something inside you that's ready for more. How to be a better person gives you one tiny step a day you can take to be the person you want to be. My mission? To help you keep growing. Hey, and welcome to How to Be a Better Person. I'm Kate, your host and the author of the book, How to Be a Better Person. So, how does being a better person apply to your sex life? Today, we're going to explore it. For context, this week on the podcast is about being a better person inside of your relationship. Because, let's face it, with the people we love the most, we can sometimes phone it in. Because we can. Because they love us. Because they see us even at those times when we are too tired or stressed to act on our better instincts. So this week, let's see what we can do to bring more of our best to our partnerships. And an important part of a romantic relationship is sex. That's why I'm excited to interview Dr. Steven Snyder today. He's a sex therapist in New York City and the author of the book, Love Worth Making, which is geared toward people in long-term relationships. Dr. Snyder, welcome. Kate, pleasure to be on and I look forward to this. Yeah, me too. I think when most people think about their sex lives, they are thinking about the actual acts of sex, but there's an important part of intimacy that happens before that, and that's arousal. You say arousal is more psychological than physical. What do you mean by that? Well, one of the reasons I say arousal is more psychological than physical is everybody is totally focused on the physical. You know, your average couple is uh, thinking, okay, is he going to get hard and am I going to get wet? And uh, then we can do it. And then we can both have orgasms and then go to bed. And what they miss is the whole psychological experience of it. And unfortunately, most sex help with sex stays with the physical as well, like seven ways to blow his mind and stuff like that, which is basically all garbage. (laughs) What I talk about in my book is instead of thinking about hard and wet, you want to think about, am I losing any IQ points? Real arousal. It takes you, uh, it gets you dumb and happy. It kind of gets you back to a three-year-old level where you really don't care about anything. You know, the phone rings, you don't really care who's calling or what they want. You just want them to go away. And uh, so that's, in in general, if you get to that point, you're going to remember the experience as being a special one because that's where we live. And that's kind of like a definition of good sex is it make you lose up some IQ points. (laughs) I love that. I I mean, to be... Dumb and happy sounds very appealing. Yeah, I mean, most people remember the best sex of their lives. It's like, you know, it went on, and I don't even remember exactly what we did, but I was just like, we were lost in the experience. That's really what you want. Yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing. And and feeling dumb and happy sounds very compelling, but I feel like you kind of need all your IQ points all the time just to make it through the day, you know? Right, right, right. how How do we make space for that? psychological state in this modern world. Okay. So the the field of sex therapy has come a long way since the 1950s with Masters and Johnson. People used to go see Masters and Johnson. They would take two weeks and go see Masters and Johnson and they'd spend hours every afternoon in their hotel room and so forth. And, you know, we sex therapists, we know nobody has time for that kind of stuff anyway. So what we do these days is everything we do in sex therapy is a lot faster. And the fastest sex therapy technique, which I want to teach all your audience today, is called the simmer. And it's basically what teenagers do in between class. So 
you're both fully clothed and it's in between class and you have two minutes at one of your lockers and you hold each other, inhale each other's scent, feel each other, hold each other's bodies tightly, breathe together, feel excited. And then the bell rings and you dart off in two different directions. (laughs) That's a simmer. And most people remember those teenage experiences have been very satisfying. You know, nobody had an orgasm, nobody's clothes came off, but you felt a strong sense of sexual connection. There's no reason a married couple can't do the exact same thing. Here's the rule of thumb. Whenever you want to kiss your partner, simmer them instead. Reach inside their clothes, feel them, hold them, inhale their scent, feel excited, and then let them go. You can do that while one of them is cooking dinner. Just make sure they don't burn anything. <laughs> you can do it over dinner, you know, play a little footsie, put a, you know, one of your feet between your partner's legs. You can do it uh, before you fall asleep. Instead of kissing your partner goodnight, simmer them goodnight, hold them close, kiss their neck, feel excited, and go, oh, that was great. Now fall asleep. Because you both got to get up early in the morning. You don't really have time to, to have sex. So uh, you can simmer lots. And I always advise couples that the happiest sexual couples simmer all day long. There's no reason ever to skimp on it. It's important, though, not to confuse simmering with cuddling, you know, sitting in front of the TV and just holding each other's hand. That kind of depletes your erotic energy. So, you know, turn down the cuddling and turn up the simmering. That'd be my best advice. Mm, interesting. I never really would have thought that cuddling would be like a, like a tamper or a damper. Well, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm a guy. <laughs> but I think a lot of couples are always in physical contact, but there's no sexual energy passing between them. Mm-hmm. And I like to avoid being in physical contact if there's no sexual energy passing between you. But maybe I have an extreme point of view. I don't know. I think I might know a man who feels that way too. All right. The, uh, the thing that sex therapists, we hear all the time, phone rings constantly. We're best friends and we never have sex. You know, somebody calls me up and they go, we're best friends. And I go, okay, the next question, the next thought is we never have sex. There's something about that kind of cuddly companionate thing that does kind of diminish uh, and deplete sexual energy. So I always tell couples, you don't want to be best friends. Have to be lovers instead. Mm, Really good food for thought. Okay. A lot of my listeners, you know, I do have male listeners and I love them and I'm so happy that they're here. I have listeners of all genders, but a lot of my listeners are somewhere on their perimenopausal journey. Do you have any specific advice for this time of life? Sure. The biggest problem that I see with uh, women who are in perimenopause is that that they don't really have much desire. You know, it's often a busy time of life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the old saying, little children, little problems, big children, big problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot going on, responsibilities, older generations sometimes to take care of. You're kind of sandwiched between the two. And sometimes there's physical discomfort as well and sleep problems. And uh, desire kind of goes out the window. There's a lot that's written on what to do when desire goes out to window, how to get it back, you know, uh, sexy dates and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, watch your man talking to another woman. Maybe that'll get your desire back. Go to a sexy bar and pretend you don't know each other. Basically that's all garbage. (laughs) 
because the sexual self is a very, very short attention span. It goes, what have you done for me lately? You know, 50 shades of gray, got a lot of women very excited for a week and a half, and then things settle back down to normal. You know, it just doesn't last. So the approach that I take in my book is radically different. Instead of trying to cultivate desire, I tell people, forget desire. You don't need desire to have good sex. What you need is you need a willingness uh, to just enter into that kind of uh, body space with somebody. And in order to do that, you first have to transition from thinking and doing to the state of awareness, which if anybody who knows anything about mindfulness knows that's what mindfulness is all about. So the current wave in sex therapy is to first enter into a mindful space before you have sex. You don't need desire at all. So you go to bed together, take off your clothes with the idea that for a couple of minutes, you're going to absolutely do nothing at all. And so you're going to lie there and, you know, connect with your toes and your feet and the rest of your body and sense the temperature in the room and, you know, pay attention to all those things to take for granted, like the surroundings in the room. And hopefully they're not they're, they're make you feel okay and not bad. And uh, just notice your feelings and your thoughts. Don't get too involved with them. And then when you've had a chance to shift from thinking and doing to awareness, either turn to your partner or maybe they'll turn to you and you kind of see what's up and see if you have a willingness to uh, enter into some kind of a physical, emotional experience with them. And you're there. You're already undressed. You've already made that transition to a state of awareness. So the chances are very good at that point. And you don't really need desire at all. Wow. That's what I suggest. Yeah, I love that. It's called the the two-step. First (laughs) step is uh, enter into a state of awareness. And the second step is to do whatever you want sexually. And I love the kind of the preceding piece of that is the willingness to something that I think is helpful in all kinds of parts of life. Yeah. Now I'll tell you a secret. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be mutual. As a matter of fact, there's a technique, which I also talk about in my book, more often used by women, but can be used by men, where you're perimenopausal and you're not feeling particularly aroused and your partner is really excited and they're hard and maybe they even want to have an orgasm and you just want to get to sleep. So what you do is you say, hmm, you want to have some lazy sex? And hopefully he's read my book too. So he knows lazy sex is he turns on his back and you're on your side facing him. He holds you with one arm, makes out with you with one arm, and with his other hand, uh, gives himself an orgasm. And it's perfectly fine. doesn't take too long. And uh, you don't have to get up and pee afterwards or anything. And it's just a very, uh, very easy. And then everybody can go to sleep. <laughs> so lazy sex. Use it a lot. Use a lot for couples of newborns where uh, she's exhausted and he still is interested. So she just offers him some lazy sex. You don't have to do anything. And we are solving so many problems on this you interview. See? <laughs> it's, it's, it's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple more questions for you, but I have to take a quick break. We'll okay. be right back. All right. Welcome back. So Dr. Snyder, I'm wondering if you could help us by offering some reframes to common excuses or thoughts for not letting us get into that dreamy, dumb, aroused state. So first up, something I think a lot of, I'm speaking from my own perspective here, women might think is, I'm too tired. Right, right. I would say you want to have more options 
than just sex or no sex. You shouldn't think of sex in a binary way. Even if you're tired, you've still got a minute to simmer or to, one might say, be simmered by somebody who wants to simmer you. And it doesn't mean you have to get excited at all. You could just enjoy the fact that they're excited. If a simmer leads to more, they can just have a little lazy sex. And uh, so it doesn't really require anything. All you just have to do is uh, negotiate and uh, see what your partner would be satisfied with. And you could do that. It doesn't have to be this energetic endeavor. <laughs> you don't have to go through the whole Masters and Johnson sex response cycle every time. You know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> okay. What about this thought? Uh, maybe tomorrow. All right. Let me tell you a reality check. Most working people in the 21st century are not having sex during the work. They're just not doing it. You know, everybody's on Facebook and answering emails and there's a million things and barely people barely getting enough sleep. Very few people outside the first six months of a relationship are having sex during the week. So you're basically talking about Saturday versus Sunday. And the choice is usually between Saturday versus Sunday. I always advise Saturday because, you know, you got some points on the board. You did it Saturday. You're good. And uh, it's a good feeling. It's like I tell people, you know, don't have sex after you go out to eat because you're going to be a little tired and overstuffed and everything. Have sex before you go out to eat. Then you go out to eat to celebrate. So always have sex first. Put sex first on the list. And, you know, if your kids are young, that's going to mean you're going to get them to bed by 830 on a Saturday night. Then you have sex. And if your kids are teenagers, they're going to be up till three in the morning on Facebook and uh, Instagram. And that means they're not going to wake up until 11. So you have sex Saturday morning. I love the specificity of this. Well, it's very specific. <laughs> I love it. Okay, last thought to reframe is, I just don't feel that interested. Yeah. So if you're not that interested, that's fine. You're not inspired to have sex. You know, Picasso had a famous line. He said, you know, I never worry about inspiration. When inspiration comes, it finds me at work. So in other words, he's already painting, waiting for inspiration. So you're already in bed doing nothing. You're two-stepping. And maybe your partner has some inspiration and turns to you. And if you're not up for sex right at that point, you could ask them for a little simmering or a lazy sex. Or you could say, you know, let me just lie on my stomach. And just if you want to just kind of enjoy me from the back for a few minutes and pay attention to how it feels to be touched. And then maybe when you feel ready, they can turn you over and you're just paying attention to how it feels. And maybe inspiration will find you and maybe it won't. It's all right either way. So what do we stand to gain by putting some energy into getting that sexual magic that we hopefully felt in the beginning of our relationships back? Okay. I've been waiting for this question <laughs> because I'm fascinated by this podcast. <laughs> Be a better person. It's very, very interesting because as a sex therapist, we don't go in that direction. Mm -hmm. And the reason is the sexual mind is fundamentally infantile. <laughs> it has no goals. It's like a three-year-old at a birthday party. It just wants to stuff ice cream in its mouth and have everybody go, yay. You know, that's really where it lives. It has no interest in being a better person. So I would say, what do we have to gain by putting some energy into getting that sexual magic back? Absolutely nothing at all. We're not trying to gain anything. We're trying to gain everything. The other, you know, 23 and a half hours of, of the day or, or 23 and three quarters hours of the day, we're not trying to gain anything. This is just, I just want to be a two-year-old and lose IQ points and have the phone ring and I don't care. Nice. So maybe that's the point. <laughs> okay. And then the other thing I would quibble with there is putting some energy into getting that sexual magic back. I don't like the idea of putting energy into sex at all. 
and I'm a little biased in this respect because uh, I'm a therapist. My mother was a therapist too. And, uh, you know, I, I was a little kid. She would always say, Steve, you got to work on that. And I would think, this doesn't make any sense. I don't have to work on anything. <laughs> and I, I grew up and I still feel that way. And so I wrote a whole book about how you don't have to work at your sex life. You know, because people always say, oh, you know, a good sex life requires work. And I go, that makes no idea, no sense to me at all. Because the sexual mind is like a three-year-old. It doesn't understand what the word work means. So if you're putting energy into it, don't. Don't put energy into it. Just, just hang out. It's going to be okay. Awesome. Well. I, you know, I do believe that we can be better people by trying less hard. And so, okay, good. So maybe we are on the same we page. We are in sync. Great. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so Dr. Snyder, for folks who'd like to connect with you, where can they find you? Okay. If you uh, just Google my name, uh, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R-M-D, uh, sex therapist, uh, you'll get me. Or my website is sexualityresource.com. Or you can look anywhere and find my book. It's on Kindle and paperback and Amazon and everything. It's called Love Worth Making. And uh, that's my title. The publisher's title is How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship. That's the way publishers talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's love worth making. It's the word love ma- love making with the word worth stuck in the middle. Love it. Thank you so much for being here today. I really okay, it. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, hope we can get together again. Yeah, me too. Take care. All right. Thank you. Hey, it's Kate, back with your tiny assignment. Hmm, is it appropriate to give a tiny assignment when the subject is sex? Hmm, yeah, because Dr. Snyder shared a lot of great ideas. Simmering, starting with willingness, lazy sex, having sex on the weekend in the morning or afternoon, and then going out to dinner afterward to celebrate. I say pick just one to share with your partner and give it a go. See if you can temporarily lose some IQ points and have some fun. How to Be a Better Person's theme song, Left for Deadish, is by Junior85. The episodes are mixed by Sound Advice Strategies. If you liked what you heard in this episode, share it with someone you think would like it too. Your voice matters. Also, How to Be a Better Person has an official newsletter that sends the past five episodes and a well-chosen meme to your inbox every weekend. Sign up at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com and click on Get Podcast News. I also love to hear from listeners. I mean, I love it. Send me an email by clicking on the Contact Kate button at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com or you can tweet me at Kate W. Hanley, don't forget the W, or find me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. I look forward to connecting with you. 